Good morning. We've gathered to worship the living God. It is good to be together. I'm going to begin our focus with a responsive reading from Psalm 148. It's one of the last psalms at the end of this book. And it's really, you see why it was called Israel's hymnal. It's about praying and praising and giving glory to God. So let's read responsively. I'll begin. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights above. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the skies. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For at his command, they were created. At his command, they were created. Let's sing to the glory of God. It's hymn number 572. Sing praise to God who reigns above. Amen. Be seated if you would. We've gathered and it's my joy each Sunday to welcome you. Uh, as I've told you before, I see each face as kind of an answer to prayer as I pray through the week. Father, lead me and guide me, but bring the people that you particularly want to minister to. So it's good that you're an answer to prayer. I welcome those of you on site and those of you online. God's grace extends from this place. We thank you for letting us in to be a part of things with you. Uh, we're glad this week Jim Folkert is uh, our guest organist as um, Jane and Lee are out of town. A couple of quick things for the day. One, our coffee fellowship, we weren't sure about weather with summer serve and those things. We decided to move it inside for today, so we will have that, and there will not be a follow-up question and answer. I really like doing that at the close of our service. We'll go downstairs and give folks a chance to ask further questions and follow up, but because I'll be preaching in fusion today, 
with Pastor JB out of town and Pastor Luke was delayed in coming from Ireland. We had lined up a preacher for Fusion from Ireland, but he wasn't able to get into the country, so they're stuck with me. Uh, that's what we've got today. So, quick slide. We begin this afternoon our Summer Serve Week. This is where we receive about 150 middle schoolers for ministry. They'll be worship in the evening, summer through the day, life together. Um, that's going to get underway. I'm very thankful for the number of celebration folks that are going to be a part of helping make that possible. Prayer, um, food, preparation, cleaning, all these kind of things. Uh, I'm told by Mary DeWitt that we still have need for juice boxes and baked goods. And I think probably the best way, if you're going to bake cookies, say Tuesday or Wednesday, and need to get those there, just drop them off in my office, okay? I'll make sure that they get eaten. Um, finally, Connect Card. If you're with us and would like to get the um, email newsletter that we send out Thursday nights at 7 or have me make a call, just put the word connect on that and text to that number and we'll send you a form that you can fill out. We're glad to include people in that way. The Heidelberg Catechism, the statement of faith that we in the Christian Reformed Church hold as one of our guidelines for what the Scripture teaches, includes question number 19. Uh, let's read responsively. I'll begin with a question. How do you come to know this, namely, that Jesus Christ is the one mediator? The Holy Gospel tells me God began to reveal the gospel already in paradise. Later, God proclaimed it by the holy patriarchs and prophets, and he foreshadowed it by the sacrifices and other ceremonies of the law. And finally, God fulfilled it through his own beloved son. I love how that question and answer brings together this truth that every story whispers his name. From paradise to the to the. Um, patriarchs to the prophets, all are pointing to something bigger than them. They're pointing to Jesus, the hallmark of the gospel. That's what the Bible is about first to last. It's not about what behavior is expected of you in order to please God. It's about how God is at work to rescue you and I. Great message of the gospel. Hymn number 754, uh, Lord speak to me that I may speak. Let us stand and sing to the Lord. Be seated if you would, please. Thanks. I love the closing verse that we sang. Oh, use me, Lord, use even me. Part of the good news of the gospel is that God wants to use you in the work of his kingdom. I can say that without any sense of who you might be. Now, I'm glad to get to know you. We'll dig in. We'll help serve that. But the truth is that because of who God is... 
He is the one who gives gifts, gifts to equip you to serve and serve to glorify God and to benefit others. So based solely on God and who he is, I can sing that closing stanza, oh, use me, Lord, use even me, just as you will and when and where. It's in that being used, finding our gift, investing it in service for the kingdom, that God makes himself known to us in new and deeper ways. Part of discipleship, part of growing in Christ, part of what God has called me to serve in your lives is to help you discover where he's at work and how he wants to use you to his glory and to the benefit of others. Let's turn to the Father and pray, shall we? Oh, Lord, our God, we give you thanks that you have called us and not left us alone. You have given us your Holy Spirit, a work of your grace, and your Holy Spirit binds us together in local expressions of your body. Thank you that in your kindness, you will make us one. Give us hearts that turn to you and find in you our fullness to give to others. Thank you for Heart Awake, Father, and we pray for this upcoming Summer Serve Week. We thank you that we have an opportunity to invest into the lives of middle schoolers, and we know it'll take a variety of forms how we do that. We pray for the preaching, for the worship, for the small group Bible studies, for the service in our community, for the fun and relationship and food. We even pray there'd be some sleep this week, Lord particularly for our leaders, give them grace. Thank you that you've called us to let the world know the goodness of Jesus. We pray for Watershed and for Pastor Aaron as they minister there at the anchor this morning and for Fusion where I'll be preaching. Be with Luke and his family delayed in their trip here from Ireland. We pray for Pastor JB as he's out for the week as well. And for Mission, Father, Pastor Florencio, the Spanish language church that will minister right where I stand in just a few hours. Thank you for the breadth of your love. We pray this day for celebration. You've called us to be a part of this expression of your church worldwide. Thank you for the people you bind us together with in relationship. You uh, build together the fullness of Christ. It's been a season. This week, Scotty Smith pointed out in his prayers that he's had more people that he's known pass away in the past three years than ever before. And so, Father, we recognize the, the, the weight of this recent season, these months. And we pray for those who yet grieve, who are on the journey from loss to restoration, Take a moment, if you would, and pray for those in your circle of relationships who grieve and mourn. We join them through your prayers. And Father, for those who are sick, either had a diagnosis or are recovering, who are struggling with either something uh, that just showed up or something chronic, we thank you that you are Lord of life, and so we seek you for healing and for grace and for presence. Pray for those in your circle of relationship. There's so many we're praying for. Pray for those who are sick. And Father, we pray that you would purify our hearts, Often we find ourselves wanting the benefit of you more than we want you. Help us to find our rest in you and to realize that normal may not come back, but Jesus will come back, and that's our hope. You teach us to pray, Father, for those in authority over us. This week in our cycle, we pray for the state of Michigan and for state government and for the services and direction uh, they provide. We pray by name for Governor Gretchen Whitmer and Attorney General Dana Nessel and Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. We pray for those who serve in the House, Mary Whitford, Jim Lilly, and Bradley Slaw, and for State Senator Roger Victory. We ask, Father, that you would continue to establish the rule of law, 
that there'd be a justice for all, that there might be shalom and opportunity for all. Uh, make us faithful citizens who begin by praying and then involve to your glory. Guide us in these upcoming months to an election. Father, we look at the world and we see the brokenness, the pressure financially as we go grocery shopping, to the distant war in Ukraine, the invasion by Russia, and all the implications of this brokenness in between. We see deaths and starvation, tensions and conflicts. We thank you that in your word you teach us where to find grace to respond, and it's from the cross. Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Father, I pray that your spirit would be at work to make us kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. No matter the circumstances, story, or details, Scotty wrote this week, it is, it is your grace, not a sort of blow-for-blow, get-even-fight-back attitude that is to fuel and shape our relational style. As you relate to us in Jesus, so we are able to seek to relate to others, both when it's easy and natural with those we love, as well as when it is really hard to do with those with whom we are cross. Help us in this and forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for the moments, for the hours, even for the days when we settled into repaying indifference for indifference, when we respond to stubbornness with our own stubbornness, when we're cool and distant because someone has been cool and distant to us, when we exchange snarky for snarky or petty for petty. Father, we confess all of this is nothing more than childish, passive-aggressive revenge. By the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us so aware of your kindness towards us, our union with Jesus, and the riches of your grace, that it will be difficult to stay aggravated or resentful very long. Work in us the spiritual fruit of kindness, tenderheartedness, and being forgiven. Father, do that work Till up the soil of our hearts as we pray and hear us as we pray together with one voice, the Lord that Jesus taught to his people, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Before I turn to the word, I can't believe I forgot this. I've got notes all over here. But this evening, Mary Lynn and I will begin a small group, five conversations in just three weeks. Uh, we'll be using the material Grace and Truth 1.0, five conversations every thoughtful Christian should have about faith, sexuality, and gender. It takes a little preparation, and in that context, we have a conversation and Bible study, a safe place to kind of wrestle through some of the questions we face day by day. There's still a little bit of room. It starts tonight. If you're interested, uh, let me know, and we'll work out the details. We're preaching through the book of Proverbs these uh, weeks through the summer, and the goal is to really identify wisdom for living. How do you live in a world like this and the challenges? The scripture I'll be reading from, from this morning takes one of the key threads through the book of Proverbs, and I'll lift out one expression of it, and then we'll dig into it. It's in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 uh, through 20. Hear the word of God. By wisdom... The Lord laid the earth's foundations. By understanding, he set the heavens in place. By his knowledge, the watery depths were divided and the clouds let drop the dew. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for your word that through the prayerful reflection of Solomon, the great wise king, he recorded, and then you've preserved across centuries these words that we might turn to them and entrust, ask you, Holy Spirit, complete your work. Take the written word and illuminate it to our hearts and minds. 
that here in your mercy we might receive and be transformed, not after our own desires, but after Jesus, the true God and Savior. We thank you for your love. Guard your people from my confusion and brokenness, but fill us with hope this day, for we pray in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people said together, amen and amen. There's an order to creation. That's one of the underlying thoughts to all of Proverbs, indeed to all of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation, that there's something you can vaguely see, kind of the outline of something if you look carefully at creation. And it sets this up very, very clearly through Proverbs and in what I want to focus on today. But to really understand where you see this and grasp this, I want to give you a particular perspective and let you know how I will be working. I like to think sometimes that as I engage people, I may meet a position, a process, or a posture. First of all, position. You know, everybody has a couple of conclusions that they work with. Sometimes they're very simple, like, who will win the Super Bowl? You may think Detroit, but I'm thinking New Orleans. That's a conclusion. It's a position. In medicine, you'd call that a diagnosis. In life, we face conclusions about all sorts of government policies, don't we? Firearms, abortion. We could dig into all kind of controversial positions. But behind every position, there is a process how did you get to that position, to that conclusion? It's the steps or the data or the arguments or, or maybe just the feelings we use to arrive at a conclusion. In medicine, again, I'll just work some examples here. In medicine, you would give tests. They test my blood pressure and conclude it's elevated. Process to position. In sports, I'll analyze the roster of my favorite sports team, and I'll conclude maybe next season. It's just not there. So process leads to position. Now government policy, it's always a little trickier, isn't it? What's the process? What are the values? What are the pieces that lead there? Well, from position, that comes from a process. There's something even deeper. And the book of Proverbs speaks to this regularly. And this is where I want to focus today is this idea of posture. Now, I'll share something with you. My beloved wife, who is a wonderful woman, but for all of that, she does not have a particular position on who's going to win the Super Bowl. That's because her posture with regard to the NFL is, eh. Now, she may pull for the Saints just to get me to shut up. But her posture, she's really not connected to that question. So she's not involved in the process, not really committed to the position. And much of life is like that. But there's a, a posture that tells us what we value, that sets things in order as we work a process and affects a position. So anytime we're wrestling with an issue, medicine, you see, you've got to believe that medicine will help you in order to get tests and believe the diagnosis. If you don't trust your doctor, you're not going to get the tests or go to the position, get the diagnosis. So these things work together. This morning, I really want to concentrate a lot on posture. How do we begin? How do we look at the world? And it's a great week to do it. We couldn't have planned this any better, that this week of all weeks, they would begin to release those photographs from the Webb Space Telescope. Have you looked at any of those? They're amazing. I looked at a picture, um, the Carina Nebula, I believe it's pronounced. And then I realized that that was just a careful space telegraph picture of a portion of space they said was about the size of a grain of sand held out arm's length. That there's that picture multiplied by all of that. I want to tell you, that's amazing. 
the detail, the clarity, the depth, all that is there. Well, I want to tell you something. There's a posture that you bring to that photograph. We can come to the position that the universe is just ginormous and complex. And we might work together on the process, putting together the most advanced space telescope ever conceived. But there's a posture behind that. Is what I see in that photograph the product of a bazillion, gajillion, modillion random accidents? Or is there purpose? One posture will lead to different conclusions. A different posture, perhaps different conclusions. So this morning, if we're really going to understand this text, that by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations, we're not simply talking about conclusions. We've got to go back to posture. How do you view whether you see it through a microscope or a telescope? Is that the work of the Lord, or did it just happen? Those different postures will affect deeply what it is you do. And I want to tell you, there's basically two postures when you boil things down, two postures. The one Proverbs brings us to, the one that it's the heart of the gospel, the one that is the teaching of the scripture from beginning to end, is that the earth is the Lord's in the fullness of it. Everything in the earth, everything that we can see, telescope to microscope, is there at the intention of a particular God, the Lord, Yahweh. It's not an accident. This morning, it gets even more clear. The text says, by wisdom, the Lord laid the earth's foundations. That is to say, the creation, everything around us. It doesn't say anything about mechanics here, but it does say something about intention. Doesn't say a lot about the how, but it says the why. The why is who the Lord is and his wisdom placed in everything. The world as we experience is not a random accident. It's an expression of the wisdom of God. And so to live wisely, that's why this is at the center of our series in Proverbs, to live wisely, we must first recognize we are creatures. We are not the creators of our own reality. Have you ever felt like something and then discovered you were wrong? I do not have the freedom or the power or the ability to create my own reality. I might alter it in some way, but reality is different than me. So we need to begin our look at the world from the posture of the creature, a life centered on God, with this base commitment that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, that by wisdom the Lord laid the earth's foundations. And so to understand those foundations and then to live wisely on them, we need to recognize we are a creature of this great God. Quickly, that's going to mean we go about it in three different ways, three words that were really key to me. A process that is marked by living as a creature, the life centered on God, we will look at the world with a sense of wonder. In Psalm 85, I'm sorry, Psalm 8, verse 5, the writer says, you made us a little lower than the angels. The Elohim is the Greek word. You've made us just a bit lower than spiritual reality. Psalm 139, 14, we are fearfully and wonderfully made from beginning to end, the breathtaking marvels of creation. Whether you see them with a microscope or with the web telescope, these marvels don't contradict this sense of wonder, they multiply it. A heart that recognizes the Lord and his work sees the photographs of the Webb telescope and goes, whoa, my God is bigger than I thought. That's what this posture leads to. Scripture is even more specific with this sense of wonder. It's not just about creation and some sort of God idea, whatever makes you comfortable. 
Remember, the God of the Bible is not generic spirituality. The God of the Bible has a name. He has a character. There's things that he is and things that he is not. The God who revealed himself to Moses, Yahweh, as the story unfolds over time, and as he comes to us in the person of Jesus, that God and no other created the world out of his wisdom. So wonder, we should see his creation and be dazzled. He's that good. Second thing is humility. The wonder of creation, often beyond our ability to understand, is also often beyond our ability to comprehend or conceive. We may get things wrong. Have you ever had to change your mind? Oh, well, I've had to change my mind. I've had some things that I'd studied and thought were true and then discovered they don't pan out. They're not right. We may be mistaken. Even as I look to the world, I need to come at it with a humility. I know the best I know, but I, I may need to learn more. I may get things wrong. Finally, as we look at this world and try to discern God's uh, wisdom, we need to have a persistence. Proverbs 25.2 writes, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, to make it hidden, you're not going to find it by stumbling across it. It's to search out a matter is the glory of kings, that persistence to look, to keep looking, to study, to keep studying. There's a reality out there that does not depend on us. It depends on the Lord. We could die or disappear. This is a key thing to ponder. When I die or disappear, reality doesn't stop. See, reality doesn't depend on me. You may not want to tell that to everybody. Some people will really be disappointed by that. You see, it continues. That's because things change entirely, and they hinge entirely on God. So the posture of the, create, of the creature, a life centered on God, because it's centered on the Lord as God, that's going to focus on relationships. To live in this world that was established by the wisdom of the Lord is going to necessarily, because of who the Lord is, focus us on relationships. I'll tell you something that's utterly unique to Christian faith. There is not another worldview or religious perspective that includes this. Biblical Christianity believes that love existed before anything else. That's because the God who reveals himself through Jesus Christ and in the Bible is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And long before anything existed, they were in relationship and loving one another. No one else on the planet can begin with a God who is love because no one else begins with a God in relationship before there was a creation. Now, that's deep stuff to ponder, but this is why relationships, reconciliation, kindness, forgiveness are so central to what the gospel is about. It's because that's who the Lord is. Another key thing that you'll see is that the Lord is committed to justice, to right relationships, not just between a person and God, but between persons and another person. Justice, and the Lord is the definer of justice, not the king, not the citizens. All the Old Testament law was God's guidance for Israel living as a community of justice. Proverbs speaks about a king himself as subject of the Lord. Proverbs 8.15, by me kings reign and rulers issue decrees that are just. There will be no justice in the land if we look at the earth apart from a posture of the creature. Proverbs 21.1, in the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels towards all who please him. See, even when I've got concern about the person, the God who is the source of justice will work through that position. And the king will be a stream in the Lord's hands. If I begin from the posture of creature. 
This is also why right worship of the Lord is so key all through the scripture, all through the Old Testament, whether it's tabernacle or temple or Psalms, worshiping the Lord rather than expressing our own hearts is what really is a key. Well, if that's the one posture, the posture of the creature, there's a second posture that we see. It's the posture of the rebel, life centered on me. Well, this is what I think, this is what I feel, and those are sovereign. I want to suggest to you there's a contention here between is God sovereign or is my feeling sovereign? At root, this is pride. It goes back to the garden in the story of the Bible, if you will. And I want to be like God. I want my feelings, my perspective, my experience, my whatever to determine what reality is. And the scripture is clear. We cannot live wisely in God's world if God is not rightly placed in that world. We might be very good at measuring the distance from earth to moon. We might be very good at building a telescope that sees as never before or a microscope that gets down as never before, but we won't live wisely with that knowledge. Imagine having the knowledge to split the atom without the wisdom to live wisely. Does that feel like your world? Imagine a life centered on me rather than living from the posture as a creature will always be at step sooner or later with the wisdom of God. If there was a, a balancing verse to uh, the text this morning, it would be Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end it leads to death. Ah, I thought this was reality, but there's a cost. It doesn't pan out. It doesn't bear fruit. Seen on its own terms, nature is, as the poet has put it, red in tooth and claw. That's a poetic to say that there's a bloody and destructive aspect to nature just on its own. Predatory animals kill their prey and devour them. We call it natural selection. Richard Dawkins used this term, red in tooth and claw, in his book, The Selfish Gene. He used it to summarize the behavior of all living things, which arises from the idea of survival of the fittest. That's why the powerful live and the weak die. That's the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the creature says God has a heart for the poor, for the widow, for the broken. Proverbs 16, 8, 18 says, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. So you see this posture of it's about me sooner or later. Oh, it may produce a generation of finance. Oh, it may produce power that can influence things. Oh, it may be applauded by the world, but sooner or later pride leads to destruction. So what I want you to see in this text is that there are two postures with which we approach life. And we could look at how these things play out differently in so many different ways. I, I can't touch them all in the time we have, but I do want to stimulate your prayer and your thinking. What would be different if I thought of the, from the posture of the creature as opposed to the posture of the rebel? Think of the area of government. The posture of the rebel says that every person is their own ruler, free to do whatever they decide. Maybe we build that by saying government is accountable to the citizens rather than to God. Or we say government is accountable only to itself rather than finally to God. Instead, the posture of the creature says government and public authority are finally accountable to God. God himself will bring judgment on a nation for its injustice. Think of that, a nation that commits itself to injustice will eventually find itself opposing God and opposed to God. 
again and again, we could look at different topics. I, I, I don't have time and I won't take it. But we need to realize that when I think from that of a creature, there's space for God to shape my life. When I begin from I'm in charge, friends, it's me and me alone. There's a marvelous story from our history of a man, Johannes Kepler, a German astronomer. He was born shortly after the Reformation, and he was educated and uh, schooled in the beginnings of the Reformation. We rarely think, I'm sorry to say, of the Reformation as the beginning of a great flowering of culture, but whether it's science, whether it's music like Bach, whether it's painting like Rembrandt, from this deep revival, authentic revival in terms of God and his character, there comes this flourishing of culture. One area was science. Kepler would write, I was merely thinking God's thoughts after him. Since we astronomers are priests of the highest God in regard to the book of nature, it benefits us to be thoughtful, not of the glory of our minds, but rather above all else of the glory of God. There's an example of a scientist who changed the course of scientific examination by beginning from the creature posture and recognizing that as he looked at the world, he was thinking God's thoughts after him. But he came to that world also in light of God's revelation. I love the words of the CRC's Belgic Confession. By what means God is made known unto us, namely this, we know him by two means, first by creation, preservation and government of the universe, which is before our eyes as a most eloquent book, wherein all creatures, great and small, are as so many characters leading us to contemplate the invisible things of God, namely his power and his divinity. We can look at the world and from the posture of the creature we see there is something bigger happening here. But the Belgian Confession goes on to say, secondly, he makes himself more clearly and fully known to us by his holy and divine word. That is to say, as far as is necessary for us to know in this life to his glory and to our salvation. So we can look at the world and understand some things about there being more to life than just us. But it's the scripture that makes clear to us that the God who created this would also give his life for us. You would not look through a telescope to discover that the creator of the world would give his life for you. But the scripture makes that clear. You would not look into a microscope to wonder, why is my world not working? But the scripture makes clear it's because I'm not what I was created to be. My heart is broken. You see, we read with a gospel perspective from creation, God's full intention, to our brokenness, to redemption. What Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and for me brings all of creation into clarity because it brings it under his lordship and offers to us the hope of the gospel. Our hope for tomorrow is not our ability to understand. Our hope for tomorrow is that the God who made all of this would give his life to rescue us. Friends, that is the gospel. And that's where wisdom begins. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our God and Father, we give you thanks for who you are and for all that you have done. Thank you that you have loved us. When we look to the world, we're amazed by its complexity, by its vastness, by its ability. And yet we also see its brokenness. There is cancer. There is war. Thank you that it is your word illumined by your Holy Spirit. It is your scripture that makes clear to us that life is bigger than us, but it's broken. And that only as our hearts look to you, as our minds look to you, do we find the hope of the gospel in the scripture. That God the Son would lay aside his glory, take upon himself our brokenness, offer 
his righteousness for our unrighteousness, that we might now be more than simply creatures. We might would be deeply loved, fully adopted children of the great creator king. We thank you for your extraordinary love. We see the world through the cross, its cost, its benefit, a God of grace at work for us. We give you thanks in this moment and pray in the mighty name of Jesus as all of God's people said together, amen. See, when we see the world through the lens of the gospel, through the cross of Christ, what Jesus did for me and for you and for all humanity, we begin to realize that this moment is of dramatic significance, not because of what we do, but because of who God is and what he's done. See, Paul would write to his church, the church that he planted by God's grace in Corinth. He would say, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said to those people, to the people in Corinth, and to all around the world and through time who would take it in faith. He said, this bread is now my body, which is broken for you. In the same way, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is now a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Paul would go on to say that we need to search our hearts and come to this table appropriately, which means not trusting that we have been good enough to receive, but recognizing we have no hope other than Jesus. Do you see the difference? Occasionally someone will say to me, no, 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 no. I've got to stop doing this sin before I can come to the communion table. I want to suggest to you that sometimes it's better to come to the table recognizing you need help with the sin you struggle with than it is to stay away. Come and receive what can only be given, but come trusting in him. So it is that God is at work in this moment. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this holy moment that here We meet you face to face, not because I have a magic to make of this what it's not, or we can will ourselves into being better or thinking something, but because you've given to us a promise in your word. I ask now, Father, that by the promise of your word and the work of your Holy Spirit, you would meet us as you have promised to, shape our hearts. This is our spiritual food. It's no less real for being spirit. Fill us with a hope to receive. Be at work in your people. Desperately, we need you. Desperately, we seek you. Joyously, we receive. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen. In a moment, we'll have servers here to each side. I'll ask you to come down the center aisle. As you come, we have several options. One, if you simply want to take the single serve, you can pick that up, take one off and you'll get the bread, another and you have the juice, and then uh, you can be done with those. And I'm going to have to ask you to carry those back to your seat, I guess, uh, today. Um, If you don't want these, you can come up and there'll be a station for the bread and for the cup on each side do that and then head back. Or if you are not able to make your way forward, uh, just look for Christine. She will be available with the single serve cups and we can serve you in the seat. So you've got one, two, or three. Understand the steps of the dance. Does that give you a sense of peace? I'm gonna ask those who'll be serving if you'd come forward and let's get the bread and the cup set and we will go from there. Okay. 
as you receive this day, the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us worship the living God. Come as you will.
Call it the Eucharist, from the Greek word thankfulness, giving thanks. So let's stand and sing to God's glory, now thank we all our God, hymn number 543. Receive the benediction of our God given to God's people across generations and continents and times from Numbers chapter 6. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.